Hello, and welcome to Easy, Easy Big, Big Takes. Takes, the podcast, where we read you the reviews of your favorite movies and more. My name's Kat. And I'm Riley. And this week, we're doing 10 Cloverfield Lane, since we did Cloverfield. This is technically not a sequel to Cloverfield, it's a spiritual sequel to Cloverfield, but this one came out in 2016. It's a sci-fi thriller, it's an hour and 45 minutes long, and it's rated PG-13. So, the plot... In March of 2016, after an argument with her fiancé Ben, Michelle hurriedly packs a suitcase, leaves behind a diamond ring, and departs New Orleans, Louisiana. While she is driving through rural Louisiana at night, Ben telephones begging her to return. The news reports of blackouts in several major cities. Suddenly, her car is struck, flipping off the road and rendering her unconscious. Michelle awakens with a leg injury while chained to a wall in a concrete room. A man named Howard enters and unchains her. She later unsuccessfully ambushes him, and he explains that there has been a massive attack, perhaps by Russians or Martians, and he had found her wreck and saved her life by bringing her to this underground bunker. He tells her that they cannot leave for one or two years because the air outside is poisoned and everyone outside is dead. Howard gives Michelle a tour of his well-stocked bunker, which also houses his construction assistant Emmett. Through a viewport, Howard shows her his two decayed pigs outside as evidence of the fallout, but she also sees Howard's truck and regains her memory of it striking her car. She privately relays this to Emmett, who dismisses it, saying he came to the bunker voluntarily after seeing the attack happen. During dinner, Howard shows flashes of jealousy and rage and little tolerance for Emmett. Michelle steals Howard's keys and injures him while trying to leave the bunker, but before she opens the outermost door, a woman covered in lesions appears outside, screaming to be let in before committing suicide. Horrified, Michelle retreats. Howard confesses that he accidentally struck Michelle's car while in a panic to reach the bunker. Now convinced, she stitches a cut she caused to Howard, who opens up about his late daughter. The trio begins to adapt to life underground, but the air ventilation system fails after something loud passes overhead. Howard sends Michelle through a small duct to reactivate it. In the control room, she finds a padlocked skylight with help scratched on the inside and an earring she had seen in a picture Howard showed her of his daughter. She shares this with Emmett, who recognizes the girl in the picture as a local girl who had gone missing two years earlier. They decide to seek help, so Michelle begins to fashion a makeshift hazmat suit to venture outside. Howard finds some of the tools Michelle and Emmett were using for their plan and threatens to immerse them both in perchloric acid. Emmett takes responsibility, claiming he was building a weapon to use to get Howard's gun. Howard says he accepts Emmett's apology before shooting him in the face, telling a shocked Michelle that now they can finally be a family of two. Michelle finishes the suit while Howard cleans up. He discovers the suit, but she flees and is able to upend the barrel of acid onto him, which disfigures him and starts a fire. She dons the suit, traps Howard, and escapes. When she sees birds outside, she removes her gas mask. Michelle then observes a biochemical alien craft in the distance, which flies towards her when the bunker explodes from the fire. The craft discharges a green gas, which she overcomes with her mask. She's also attacked by a quadrupedal creature and shelters from it in Howard's truck. The craft's tentacles lift the truck midair to reach Michelle, but she destroys it with a Molotov cocktail, causing the truck to fall back to the ground. Michelle drives off in the woman's car, a rod radio. A radio broadcast says humans are successfully fighting the invaders and instructs survivors to seek safety in Baton Rouge while requesting the help of anyone with medical or combat training in Houston. Michelle heads for Houston while a large alien craft is revealed, silhouetted by lightning. The end. It's a hell of an ending. Hell of an ending. Mm-hmm. Really badass. I kind of wish there was a third. There is. It's called the Cloverfield Paradox. 
I haven't seen it. I don't know how closely it is related to this. I think there's a trivia fact about that, but I'm not sure. But I know okay. that it's technically like a loose trilogy. It's Cloverfield, 10 Cloverfield Lane, and the Cloverfield Paradox. Okay, cool. Yeah. So this movie was directed by Dan Trachenberg, written by Josh Campbell, Matt Stukin, and Damien Chazelle. And Damien Chazelle actually wrote La La Land, Babylon, and Whiplash, both the feature and the short of Whiplash. <sighs> Holy shit. Okay. He's decorated. Decorated. <laughs> sir. Thank you for your service. Yeah, for real though. That's cr- that is crazy. Okay, wow. Mm-hmm. He's carrying a lot of the weight. La here. La Land and Whiplash over here? Okay. All right. But the cast of this movie, we have John Goodman. And then we have Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who was Ramona Flowers <gasps> in S- Scott Pilgrim. And she's also Gwen slash Royal Payne in Sky High. She's amazing in both. Love her. I love her. She's so good. She's really good. And then we have John Gallagher Jr., who plays Emmett. He's the killer in Hush. And he's also Mason in Short Term 12. <gasps> that's right her boyfriend mm-hmm. that's right okay i was like i know this guy do you remember i was saying last time i was like there was a movie we watched a bunch <gasps> that's what you meant okay mm-hmm. yes yeah mm-hmm. i totally remember it yeah and then i don't know if you watched to the credits i'm i'm gonna guess maybe not probably not <laughs> i don't think i did who do you think voices her her fiance on the phone oh i don't even i don't even have an answer it's bradley cooper that man pops up in everything <laughs> oh my god how random yeah and i i should have looked but i i don't know if he was like an executive producer or something or just like friends with some of these guys or something i mean he knows everyone in the industry at this point like yeah. i'm sure it was a f- i'm sure someone called in a favor <laughs> or something for sure for sure wow that's really cool and i have notes about their relationship once we get to the opinions because like i have theories yeah that's definitely something that like I hadn't thought about as much until watching it more recently, and I I have thoughts as well. I'm interested to hear what you think. But I have some trivia. Okay. So the budget for this movie was 13 to 15 million, and worldwide it made 110 million. That's amazing. It's really crazy when you hear how low a budget is, and you're like, really? Oh my god, that's amazing. I mean, 50 million, that's a lot, but like... It's just one location for most of it, too, so... It really is, though. And like, there's a big... There's some CGI at the end that I'm sure was more expensive, but honestly, really, it's just one location. That's it. It makes sense. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the tagline for this one is, monsters come in many forms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very clever. Very clever. And then the first trivia fact I have is that 10 Cloverfield Lane originated from an ultra low budget spec script penned by Josh Campbell and Matt Stukin titled The Cellar. When Bad Robot became involved, the film was assigned to the codename Valencia to keep exact details of the production a secret. That's my new favorite thing to learn is like, what was the secret name of the movie in development? Yeah. And it's J.J. Abrams production company. Mm -hmm. So there's also another theme of like being very secretive around the details of their movies too. Yeah. So during the production of 10 Cloverfield Lane, the filmmakers noticed core similarities to Cloverfield and decided to make the picture what producer J.J. Abrams calls a blood relative or spiritual successor of Cloverfield, which is what I mean when I was saying it's not really a sequel. It's just kind of in the universe of it. It really has nothing, no connection to what happens in Manhattan in the first one. Not even with the giant monster because there's spaceships in this one, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's a little tiny alien that runs around, but nowhere near what's happening in Manhattan. It just makes you think, like, what else is happening around the world then, you know? If yeah. this is all the same invasion, we got this giant monster in Manhattan, we have these spaceships in down Louisiana... It's very cool. It's very interesting. Because she has an iPhone. So I'm thinking like... Oh, does she? Oh, yeah, she does. Yeah, she does. She has an iPhone 6, to be exact. 
Oh. So I think it's like a few years later or something. Oh. I don't know. Or maybe they didn't think about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Because <laughs> it wasn't intended to be, you know, like. Okay. You can cover it up by saying a few years later. So whatever they did, <laughs> they nuked New York or Manhattan, mm -hmm. right? Leveled it. Leveled it. Because formerly known as Central Park. And it's a yeah. tape, you know. So obviously they took care of it. But who knows what signaled back to wherever that thing yeah. came from, you know? Like, yeah. oh, where's that? Mo where's our giant monster that we put on Earth? Where's Steve? They where's Steve? <laughs> Where is he? He was supposed to be back by now. Uh, oh, he's left on earth oh they killed him let's go let's go to earth for steve for steve this is for steve in my canon it's for steve <laughs> you can you can make up a whole story with that I, I you know and i've never watched the cloverfield paradox so maybe something gets answered that ties them together there or something but yeah i don't know but speaking of how like damien chazelle you know, had all of these hits that he wrote. He was actually brought on to rewrite Campbell and Stukin's draft and to direct the film and actually dropped out from directing when Whiplash received funding to be made into a feature. But I thought that was interesting because I feel like he came in and kind of elevated probably what yeah. they had originally. Not to say that they aren't talented in what they had given, but they, hi they they outsourced for somebody to, to revise a draft. You got so. the guy who wrote La La Land and Whiplash. He came in for a bit and left. He had to do something. <laughs> he, he contributed mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So I found this interesting and I'd love to see the opposite versions of all of these. So they shot tonally different versions of most scenes from light and humorous to angry and mad so they could find the right mix for the movie as a whole. Okay, that makes sense because there there's moments where I'm like, that's kind of fucking funny, you know? Like, mm -hmm. there's times where I was, like, so fearful. But I'll get there with my opinion. Yeah. 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 It, you can feel it. You can feel, you can feel it. Mm -hmm. And the mix feels good. Like, mm -hmm. it... It works. Yeah. Speaking on the Bradley Cooper voicing Ben part, there was actually more of Ben in the script with Michelle getting texts from him later and eventually heading out to save him. But they decided they didn't want her efforts to be about a guy. Yes. And J.J. Abrams said, quote, it was reductive and also felt impossible to invest in a character you would not know, end quote. Exactly. Exactly. She didn't need to save a man. Exactly. Like, she, she's looking out for herself and that's more than enough. Also, actually, I'll say that for my opinions. I got opinions. <laughs> yeah, I'll save mine too because I have some <laughs> thoughts on that as well. Um, but so <laughs> next I have that during an interview with Abrams to promote 10 Cloverfield Lane, he said the creative team behind the original had some ideas on developing Cloverfield 2, but the re release of films such as Godzilla 2014 and Pacific Rim led them to abandon them as they found the concept of kaiju films played out. I get that. Which is fair. I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> this is very refreshing compared to what they could have done. Definitely. Yeah. Pacific Rim's an awful movie. I know a lot of people like love watching that movie though. Because it's so bad it's good kind of thing. Yeah. I, I'm sure yeah. it is. I kind of really want to watch it just, just to see. I just want to see how bad it is. I saw it in theaters and I remember we left. <laughs> like we left <laughs> early. <laughs> You know how bad it is to bring kids to a movie and it be so bad you leave? Because normally kids will just watch anything. You know? <laughs> like... I was 14. I was one of those, I'm not like other girls' girls. I was mm -hmm. really trying to like it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I like Transformers, sure. Oh, yeah, I'll watch it. <laughs> Ocean Transformers? Okay. Okay. 
that's funny <laughs> yeah I'm, i am really glad that they went in a different direction with it though but as we've heard recently apparently godzilla minus one is really good Austin just saw it is it good he says it's super good he'll go back to the theaters and i'll see it i heard the opinion of somebody who doesn't like godzilla movies that said it was really good i was hearing it from a lot of godzilla fans i was like okay if godzilla fans like it, it must be you know it must be okay it must be watchable he says it's really good, and if someone who doesn't like Godzilla movies likes it, I'll watch it. I'll, I'll give it a chance. I'll see it. Yeah, you let me know. I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it is. Yeah. And then the next thing I have, though, is that as with Cloverfield, a viral marketing campaign was used that included elements of an alternate reality game. Bad Robot kickstarted the campaign in early February 2016 by updating the Tog ruato.jp website used for the original film the campaign revealed backstory information about the character howard stambler and his daughter oh with megan yeah people don't just up and leave for no reason and he still had his wedding ring on the whole time even though he specifically said my wife turned her against me and they moved to chicago whoa yeah and he says it's because of the 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 bunker but we'll, we'll get to that we'll, we'll get there we'll get to that okay so Mary Elizabeth Winstead was the only choice for the role of Michelle. Wow. So they were like, it's got to be her. It has to be her. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. I'm glad she did it. She's so good at it. She's badass. She's so... Would you call her a final girl? I would call her a final girl in this scenario. I guess technically, yeah. One of the most badass. She's just like the protagonist. I mean, she's like she any is. other sci-fi protagonist. True. I'm in. I'm. I'm like in a horror. I mean, it is sort of horror, yeah. You know, for a final girl, she's badass. She's just kicking ass through the whole movie. She's like, so cool. She, she does not waste time in this movie. She does not. Even even. You know, I'll say my opinions. I'll say my opinions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I got to stop myself. <laughs> I'm excited that you have so many. I I do. I'm so excited about that. You know, I told you last time I was fucking worried. I know you're always worried, but like because I love this one so much. Okay. I forgot. <laughs> so I I told you I saw it once. I was like, yeah, I kind of remember it. Okay, I didn't remember shit about this movie except for like highlights. I'm glad you didn't. Oh my god, I was like, oh, she's getting out of the bunker. We got like five minutes left. No, there's like 20 minutes left of that movie. There's a whole the whole other movie forming. <laughs> that sequence Mm -hmm. but the next thing i had is that they also wanted john gallagher jr who plays emmett from the beginning so much that they were sending sides which are if you don't know those are dialogue scenes that they send to actors from short term 12 to various actors being considered for the part they accidentally sent him his own scenes too so they were sending it to other actors to see if they could be like him in short term 12 oh they could replicate him yeah and they sent it to him what (laughs) It's like, I, I did this. I've read this before. Would it be, okay, it would be so cool, though, if he just sent in the film, the, the actual scenes of whatever it was. <laughs> he came like, into audition with it. I, I kind of already did it. Mm-hmm. That was a good movie, too. Holy crap. It's so good. It, I've, it's been a while since I've seen it. I love that they, like, it seems like more specifically they saw him in that and were like, we want him in this. I love that. That's so unique. That's because they're so they're very different movies. So to watch him in that and go like, he'd be good in ours. Hey, you know? Oh, he's so good in Short Term 12 too. He is. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And Brie Larson's in there. Rami Malek's in that fucking movie. Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. So good. I need to rewatch that movie. I do too. It's a rough watch though. Be careful. It is. It is good. It is really good. That was one of the, that was one of the big movies for us. Definitely. But 
Next, I have that the film was shot in chronological order aside from a few reshoots, mostly insert shots. For example, in the shot of Howard asking Michelle, how's it going through the vent in the air shaft, John Goodman was wearing a fake beard because he had shaved it off at that point because it was a reshoot. Oh, interesting. I didn't, I didn't notice, honestly. Yeah. It was always interesting when they shoot it chronologically. I think this is one of those movies where it makes the most sense because they use like hair growth and her nails and facial hair to show the passage of time. So like it's very important in this one for them to do that. I get that. Because it'd be so difficult to try and replicate like how much nail polish is chipped off of her fingers. and. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think this is, yeah, this is the last trivia fact I have. So in October of 2016, it was revealed that the Abrams produced God Particle would be the third installment in the Cloverfield franchise. After several postponements of the film's release date, it was released as a Netflix original on February 4th of 2018 under the new title, The Cloverfield Paradox. So it's a third installment. It's not really a sequel. It's just another entry into the... I'm curious though. I'm curious. I want to watch it. I want to see what's up. I haven't heard much about if it's good or not, but... I'll give it a watch. Okay. So we've reached the point. What did you think? All right. I want to start by saying I did not remember anything. I didn't remember. <laughs> I told you. I was like, yeah, I saw it before. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> oh my God. It was, I didn't remember anything. <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't. I didn't. Like I remember highlights. I'm like, yeah, this happens. This happens. This happens. I didn't remember details. Everyone was amazing in this movie. John Goodman is so good. I love John Goodman. John Goodman's one of my favorite actors. He's so diverse. So diverse. And he's one of those guys where it doesn't matter how shitty the movie is. If he pops up, he's going to be good. He is going to make whatever they gave him work. He's going to make it his own. He's going to do the most with it. He's probably going to be your favorite character. He's never bad. The first thing that popped into my head now thinking about that is him and Oprah Brother Arthur. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes of that movie. He gives it his all. He is so good. We always call him a force of nature because he just is. He's just a force of a nature of a actor. He really is. And this is like one of the one of the few movies where for a character, like I'm actually scared of him. Because mm-hmm. most characters I would say is like to some degree comedic. Yeah. You know, sometimes he plays a bad guy, sometimes he's a good guy, whatever. But this is one of the few roles where I'm like, oh, he, he does frighten me. It's a sinister character. It's very sinister. Very sinister character. And he's a very fucked up character too. Mm-hmm. His relationship with Michelle. It's so, like, obviously he's viewing her as his daughter. He's replacing his daughter as her. Yeah. But there's such little details that make it so, like, really gross. Like, he gets super mad when she, like, just gently touches the other guy's hand. It literally said in the plot, you see his jealousy and rage. Mm-hmm. Why are you yeah. jealous about that? When the guy from Short Term 12 goes, oh, he's lying, you know. He goes, oh, I wanted to steal your gun so she could have the same respect for me as she does for you. And that, that hit him emotionally. It's like, what does that mean? He's threatened. He's threatened. Oh, he hated that man. <laughs> he hated that man so much. And to me, that was kind of comedic throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. I thought that was fucking hilarious. He gave him a corner in the kitchen. Like, in not even the it- kitchen, in the hallway behind the food shelf. He's like, you can sleep there, out of the way where I can't fucking see you. Yeah, it felt like it was supposed to be the placeholder for like how some fathers are with their daughters versus how they are with their sons. Yeah, yes. You're a nuisance and you're a baby angel. Yes. And there's this weird protective, there's this weird... Territorial thing. Territorial thing, like... 
it's very it's an interesting movie to analyze like you write a paper about this you could you could definitely write it if you're taking a psychology class you have to write a paper about a movie and weird family dynamics or weird whatever mm-hmm. well, watch this movie you, you have some good material and i had told you it was like detailed did you did you see what i meant with like saying that it's a very detailed movie yeah like in con like in just like the little just like the little thing character like in in the little things that lend to the characters mm-hmm. and the story and definitely well there's the point in the movie and this is more john goodman's just acting but like it just was so pointed for me like he's sitting down he's telling her there's been an attack i saved you and there's a point where she's going like oh well thank you for saving me and john goodman's character smirks and then wipes it away really quickly mm-hmm. and it's just like subtle what yeah. was that what was that <laughs> What does that mean? What do you mean by that? What do you, what do you mean, mean by, by that? that? Why are you laughing? Why are you smirking? Don't look at her like that. Don't look at her like that. He just like, <laughs> he just smirked like the second she was like, all of a sudden, like she flipped the script and was like, well, thank you so much for saving me. Like all of a sudden she's grateful. He's getting what he wants from her. Like, yes, it's, oh, it's, this movie's so good with like little minor details like that. I know that's what I noticed. Did you did you notice like little details maybe that I'm not mentioning? Oh, well, I just overall like mostly with like his character also with like even just down to like how they showed like I was always amazed by the fact that they showed the passage of time through like the state of their hair and nails and stuff like that. His scar on his head from when she hit him. Yeah. And I just that's always something that I was like, that's such a cool way to show that without being like, well, it's Thursday now. (laughs) six months later you know like kind of thing yeah (laughs) yeah and you can tell with her character too that being a woman who's like lived in the world you can see kind of she can tell what kind of response he wants from her Mm -hmm. and what she needs to do to play along yeah and to keep him calm to keep him yeah and her backstory too like she has that story of regrets where she regrets not helping that little girl in the homeware store because that was being abusive she had an abusive father her brother would protect her and mm-hmm. she wanted to do that for somebody else so she knows the name of the game of a abusive household how to deal with an angry man she knows how to diffuse how to diffuse how to exactly but also she's always in survival mode yeah she never relaxes no she's all like except for the montage when she like legitimately thinks the world's ending and like this is the safest place to be yeah and then she lets her guard down obviously but the second the second she gets a hint of anything being obscure she's like what's my next game plan she does not hesitate and honestly that's why i called her a final girl because in horror movies there's so much hesitancy doesn't matter how long she's been down with them the second she thinks howard is a serial killer or has maybe done something wrong Mm -hmm. she is automatically in survival mode what do i need to do to get out of here what do i need to and i love it yeah, she saw him for who he was in the beginning, even if she didn't know exactly. Mm-hmm. She knew there was something wrong with this guy. Yeah. And even her trying to tell him to Emmett, him being like, oh, well, I wanted to be in here. He's fine. That's just Howard. Mm-hmm. She's like, no. And the more she gives him evidence, he's like, oh. Oh, so the other thing I wanted to point out, so she has had a history of, you know, she grew up 
with an abusive father. So at the beginning where she's putting everything in her suitcase, she's running from her boyfriend. Her boyfriend's like, we had one little argument. That's what happens. I think he did something. And that's why she fled. She was like, absolutely not. I'm not reliving this. I'm not going through Mm -hmm. this. I'm not having a conversation about it. I'm leaving. Yeah, she wouldn't tolerate whatever it was that reminded her of home. Understandable. I think that's exactly what happened. Like, I don't think she's wrong. At any point, do I think she's wrong? No, of course not. Even if he didn't hit her, maybe she saw it. Maybe maybe he he got close. She saw the starting points. She saw the the potential of him doing it. And just like in the last movie, where there's like little messages of like, oh, there's something, you know, maybe there's something deeper than what's in the front. Because they never in the movie explain why she just up and ran from Ben. Yeah. I think that's the reason, though, because they had a, in his words, a little argument. Well, define little argument. What did you do? What did you do to her? Yeah, because if it weren't that big of an argument, I, I, that's the whole thing with her character is I don't think she's going to overreact in that way. It was enough for her to be like, fight or flight. Yeah, they're engaged. Like, they've had an argument before. Yeah, it's not a year-long relationship. They didn't just meet. Yeah, they didn't just meet. This wasn't their first argument. They This isn't them six weeks into a dating thing. They're engaged. They've been dating. Yeah. That's how I felt with it. I was like, there's no way. There's, no way. there's no way that it was just something that little. And if it was, she has enough experience in here to be like, I don't want even the likelihood of that happening going up here. I don't want to put myself in a situation. Like she doesn't, it's, you could see it, like if it was a little argument, you could see it as maybe like an overcorrecting. But like, if she's just trying to protect herself and any future kids they might have had together from somebody like that, fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Why Why would you stick around to see and see if it happens? That's the thing. Like, whatever happened, it scared her enough to leave most of her stuff behind, put whatever she could in a suitcase and leave. It's such a good little detail, especially her fashion stuff. She's leaving her tools there. Yeah, her dream. Also, a, a detail thing about her character that I noticed this time watching it was she uses a screwdriver to get the nightstand open because it doesn't have a handle. So she puts a screwdriver in it to like open it up. Not only is she emotionally like in survivor mode, she just has some sort of knowledge of being tactful. Yeah, how to go. How to make it work. How to use what she's got. I remember seeing that. I didn't think that hard about it, but like that's a good, yeah, that's a good little detail. I mean, you see that when she gets to the bunker too. Like she very quickly assesses and lights shit on fire. <laughs> She's like ready to go. She grabs that little key, starts making a shiv out of her thing. Yeah. Well, even to get like her her stuff, just taking the IV thing and oh yeah, definitely. She's capable, and they show you that very quickly. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of my favorite things about this movie is just how badass she is. Yeah. She does everything you want someone to do in a movie, like in those situations. Mm-hmm. It's satisfying. It's so satisfying. This guy literally hits her car, which I think he does on purpose because he says oh, he did sure. on accident. He definitely did on purpose. He saw her at the gas station. Yeah, he was he was there. He saw her. He was hunting. I feel like half of it was just him being like, what if the air filter goes out? <laughs> He's like, I need someone little. <laughs> need somebody who is is agile to get up there. <laughs> I need someone. But something else I love about her her character is that she tries her best when she's down there to not show Howard that she is that capable. Yes. She has to keep this air of helplessness. She keeps her cards close. Because she probably already knew how to stitch somebody up. 
because she knows how to sew. And he clocked it too. He's all like, oh, that's why you did it so good. It's very smart writing, very satisfying. Oh my God, the last 20 minutes, because like literally I was thinking, oh, she's getting out now. We got like five minutes, then we see the spaceship and then the movie's over. She has a whole battle sequence. <laughs> like I was like sitting there going like, holy crap, there's more to this movie. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot the ending. And I think the her moving out to Houston and just the flash of the spaceship, it's pretty badass. It, it really is badass. Yeah. Really good movie. Really good movie. I forgot how good this movie is. Yeah. Is there anything else that you had notes on or anything? John Goodman dancing. Just even yeah. the little, like, butt. His little twerk. <laughs> I love him. And that's, like, the little bit of comedy that I'm sure that they stitched in. Mm -hmm. The creepy moments where he goes, you should probably shower. Ugh. That made me, like, cringe so hard. Because he did it. He does it more than once in that movie. And I get it. He's like, oh, you were you were contaminated. But it's just, like, it's so creepy. Just Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, it's it's this weird mixture of, like, doomsday prepper and mm -hmm. shitty person. Yeah. Serial killer, maybe? At least kidnapper. At least kidnapper. But that girl, he has that photograph of the girl going, this is Megan. And the other guy to go, that's not Megan at all. I went to high school with that girl. That's not Megan. That's not Megan. She went missing, and then they found her earring. That dude killed her. That dude. Oh, for sure. He was trying to replace Megan. Exactly. Probably in the bunker. He probably kept her down there, too. Yes, yeah, she was where the air vent was. Emmett was helping him build it, so he probably built out that air vent part oh. and kept her up there. Oh, gross. Megan left before she was a teenager. She was probably like a preteen. This is like years. Yeah. She, yeah. I doubt her mom is sending pictures to him. No. Because we were kind of talking about like why they probably left a little. Mm -hmm. And he says it's because they didn't want to be prepared and like they didn't believe in what he was doing down there. But I feel like that kind of obviously in the way that he like interacts with Michelle, like you can see that he's got a weird, gross creepy level of protectiveness mm -hmm. and aggression and aggression and i'm sure that there were ways that he treated his daughter that his wife saw and was like no or even to his wife you know like the aggression like oh, yeah. for all we know he was abusive you know like who knows yeah it was probably one of those and this is like fully just speculation mm -hmm. where like he was very like loving and protective of his wife and then they had a daughter and then he no longer cares about the wife and moved all that energy to his daughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That territorial thing, like what he has with Michelle and Emmett. Because he gets so mad when she, all she does is just touch his hand. And he completely flips shit. Even when Emmett knocks over food, she just tried to burn your thing down and you're not yelling at her. But Emmett, who's injured, knocked something over and he is like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> he hated that man fully yelling at him and then he comes back into michelle and he's like oh that was nothing that's nothing it's just emmett <laughs> what's that abby miller i hear this grating because <laughs> like emmett walks in the room this is later in the movie he goes oh what are you watching he goes pretty in pink one of megan's favorite movies can i watch it please just ask me for watching. <laughs> Good lord. You shut the fuck up. I'm watching a movie. He's so mad that that man is here. So mad. Why are you breathing? We have limited oxygen. For real though. I feel like it's also like a little symbolic of it that Emmett had to fight his way into there mm -hmm. and Michelle was dragged in there unwillingly. Abducted into there, yeah. He thought he was saving Michelle, but... And then Emmett. Emmett literally <laughs> had to like there. break his arm to get in there. <laughs> and he's here. <laughs> and you. You're going to be a problem. <laughs> you. You're a problem. But I 
I also like that Emmett never really saves her, except he sacrifices himself, but that doesn't really take away from her character's abilities. It's just him being like, I'll take the fall for this. I love that he does not save the day and he does not really do much other than give her information and eat goldfish. <laughs> goldfish, yeah. He just puts stickers on the wall, <laughs> the corner that Same. he lives in. He's just Same girly. That's so me. I would do that too. <laughs> so, it's so sad. He just has that little corner. He's literally sleeping in the corner that Jacobin is like generous enough to give him. He literally helped him build that whole thing. And he and he hates him. He hates him. Why did he never question? I, I'm sure John Goodman's character, or Howard, I'm sure Howard had a good answer for why there was like a bolt shut door room. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that because it is a room that locks from the outside. Oh my <laughs> god. Like, well, if there's an enemy, we could lock them in there. I feel like that was his answer. Why is it pink? Why is this room pink? <laughs> Did you paint it pink for the enemy or for girls that you're kidnapping? Why are there sconces in here? <laughs> no, they're sconces! They're sconces! Oh my god. It's crazy. Oh, that's even crazy. I didn't even think about that. There's sconces, a mattress. What are we doing? <laughs> oh, that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Well, he wasn't expecting Emmett. No one even questions that in the movie. It's, like you said, it's a detailed movie. And the more you look into it, the more freaked out, creeped out, eye-opening it is. That's cra- I didn't even mm -hmm. question that. And why would he have a stack of teen girl magazines if he wasn't planning on finding somebody to fill that space? The reasoning behind that to me was like, oh, they were Megan, so I'm going to keep Megan's stuff. I, to me, that's easy. Yeah. I, I get your but point. But he flipped her car over. Like, I, it, it, I do. Like, he can talk his way out of it. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Sure. And that's what I, like, to me, yeah. that can logically, logically be explained. But with everything else that we know by the end of it. I didn't even think about the room. I didn't even think about it. Why are there sconces? Why are there sconces? Why is that nice lighting? Why are there lamps in here? Why, why? I'm surprised there's not a vanity in this room. Like, what yeah, is happening? No kidding. No kidding. Why is there not a vanity mirror in this? There's no powder puff in here for me. <laughs> That's fucking nuts. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, this movie's so good. I love a movie like that where, like, you go back and you pick up something new from it each time. Like, you see the other little hints that they were giving you. It's very smart and thought out and very polar opposite not polar opposite it's quite different in a lot of ways from cloverfield I, it's like two sides of the two sides of the same coin of or well, i don't know if that's the question preparedness yeah uh, apocalypse uh mm -hmm. the two different kind of reactions yeah yeah you got the people who are like in it like it's happening to them right now the attack no time to prepare no time to prepare whatsoever and then you got people who the polar opposite have been preparing for years for this to happen. It's not directly happening to them, but it is happening to the country, you know? Yeah. Don't know if I mentioned this when we were recording last time, but if it pops up on a streaming service, I watch it because, mm -hmm. first of all, it's one of those movies where I'm like, I don't know how long you're going to be on here. <laughs> you're going to be on <laughs> in the background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to tune in when I want to. Yeah. No, like, I don't know when it's going to go to a different streaming platform or get taken off of a streaming platformer. Oh, okay. Okay, I get that. I have to savor it while it's here. Okay, yeah. All right. And it, again, it's like, because I notice new things every time I watch it, I'm like interested in it in that way. And it just, it is, I have never not been entertained watching this movie. Yeah, I get that. I had no idea what Cloverfield was about before watching, when I went and saw this movie, 
had no, no context to Cloverfield as a movie. I was just like seeing the poster. And so I was glad that it was a, it wasn't really like a sequel. It's just a related. It it didn't add anything to this movie. Exactly. Yeah. It didn't add anything, really. No. It really didn't. <laughs> it 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 adds nothing. It adds nothing to this movie. Just the idea that like they had to level New York. <laughs> <laughs> it, the only thing you need to know for context and it doesn't even matter in this movie is that new york got nuked <laughs> yeah new york it. does no no longer exist now it's not a thing it's not a thing anymore manhattan gone <laughs> who is she that's it and they don't even talk about it in this movie so it doesn't really it's matter well it's so funny like because it's all they did was notice similarities and go let's just call it this and that's it. Which is so funny. It wasn't even purposely a Cloverfield spiritual whatever. You know what I honestly think it is? I think because Bad Robot picked up the movie for production. And they were like, I know how we could get people to watch this. <laughs> and they said, call it 10 Cloverfield Lane. And then let them get confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they'll watch it probably. It's a blood relative, not a It's a sequel. blood relative. No one's calling it a sequel. Just a blood relative, a spiritual sequel. I love it. It's great. It's in the ether around Cloverfield, it's, you know? It's in the area. <laughs> it's the Louisiana to Cloverfield to New York, mm-hmm. okay? <laughs> it's so funny. I love that. I really do, though. It's really funny. Yeah, I think that's all I have to say at the moment. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before I go to the critics? I think I've said every thought in my head about this movie. Um, I don't think I have anything to add. Yeah. The critics loved this movie. Okay. Did this get high ratings? I hope it did. It got 90% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 79% from audience. I'll explain the audience score when we get to the audience reviews. Okay. And then 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. So this first one was written by Max Weiss. She wrote this for the for Baltimore Magazine in March of 2016 and gave the movie a 3 out of 4, starting with, quote, Dan Trachenberg's 10 Cloverfield Lane does an excellent job of putting us in the right head of its protagonist. The film watches Michelle closely, her eyes, her face, her reactions to Howard's every move, and although there's no voiceover, no diary, we are right there with her. The film is a masterclass in the subjective POV, end quote. The details. Mm -hmm. We know what she's thinking. Showing, not telling at its finest. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then they say, quote, the film meters out its twists slowly but expertly. You know they're coming, you just don't know what they will be. One caveat to that, the film is annoyingly marketed as a sequel to 2008's found footage alien film Cloverfield. Some might see that as a clue, or maybe it's all just a clever diversion tactic, end quote. So people were like, there's gonna be aliens at some point. Yeah. I didn't know anything about Cloverfield, so I was like, (laughs) what What is this? What is happening? You were exactly what they hoped would be the expectation some little girl yeah they were like i want someone who has no clue what is out there yeah i you know i loved it i loved it i was like aliens <laughs> and everybody else in the theater is like yeah yeah did you not <laughs> it's so funny i love that you're like what <laughs> <laughs> But next they say, quote, both Winstead and Gallagher Jr. are great as the young bomb shelter roomies, but it's Goodman's film. He's a Stephen King style character, affable and menacing with both a cheery bon homie and a hair trigger temper. Things get really weird when he, Michelle and Emmett form a strange little family, eating dinner together and doing puzzles on the coffee table. It's uncanny and Goodman's normcore monster or hero, question mark, 
adds to the sense of disorientation. Goodman's Howard is an Annie Wilkes for our modern times, the apocalypse's number one fan, end quote. Annie Wilkes for the modern day, he is. He's he's totally uh, misery. Yeah. It is one of the very few movies, I can't even name another movie, where he scares me as much as he does in this one. I think that the thing about this character is that his character tries to disarm you as the person watching by like, okay, maybe he's not. Oh, but okay, but that was weird. Okay, but maybe, maybe he's not, but then maybe he's right. Because he keeps proving himself right at the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. And then you think back about all the little things. It makes you question everything else. Yeah. I, I guess at that time, there's like doomsday prepper people. If this happens, like, yeah, you guys will have gotten it right. Like, the, mm. you were prepared. You knew what to do. Yeah, y'all can own it. He is that kind of character where you're like, there is some sense of you that it was correct, but your intentions are off. Exactly, exactly. You can be right. It's like the, that meme where it's like when the worst person ever says something correct. <laughs> yes, in the weird, very distanced way, it's kind of like watching Bernie, where you're like, I know what you're going to do. Mm. In his case, he's a good person who did a bad thing. Uh-huh. And in this case, it's like a bad person who's doing some good things. Yeah. Technically, yes, he did save her life. He did save her, technically, yeah. Because she would be out there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like him tapping into the cheery characters that he's played and kind of using them in a way, like with the script too and the character that's set up. But for this character, it's those skills that he has from those characters are used against the audience because we have expectations of John Goodman. Yeah, he's Sully. He's Walter. He's... He's Pacha. He's Pacha. Mm -hmm. But the next one, you will not be surprised. I mean, you'll be a little surprised. They were kind of middle about it. They're usually very hateful about anything that's not the 80s or 90s, so... But they are dorks, so sci-fi... Okay, all right, so it kind of appealed to them, okay. And of course, we're talking about the Mazzy twins. <laughs> this was on Gone with the Twins. They wrote this in 2016 when the movie came out, and they say, quote... The music really sets the tone for this peculiar little thriller. Seemingly innocuous events are immediately ominous when Bear McCreary's sensationally skin-crawling notes begin plucking at the nerves, and it leads to a forceful, shocking title sequence unmasking the Cloverfield name, as well as a subtitled reference to 10 Rillington Place, an obscure British crime drama based on an actual serial killer. End quote. Okay, they are dorks, because I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> I saw it come up on like the trivia on IMDb, but it was like one of those ones. Do you ever see these where they're at the very bottom and they have a fuck ton of dislikes for no reason? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It was like one of those. People were like, we don't care. <laughs> like, no one knows what this is. No one gives a shit. Shut up, dork. No, but you don't get points <laughs> for that. Dork. But I forgot to mention earlier, I love the hard cut to the title sequence. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is good. It's so good. And it just immediately, you just cut into the movie. I love that. It sets the scene even more. Like, ugh, I love it. It's perfect. It really is. And it's smart. It's smart for this movie as well. This may sound like a stupid thing. That's one of my top five title sequences in a movie. Wow, okay. All right. But <laughs> next they say, quote, but therein lies the problem with 10 Cloverfield Lane. It's quite obviously two separate pictures. An unnerving cat and mouse game in a claustrophobic, perpetually suspicious, downright scary environment, and producer J.J. Abrams' independent influence on what was clearly a straightforward, but not without twisty moments of surprise, reality-based mystery. Had the two concepts 
been integrated proportionally, or perhaps if the traumatic revelations appeared in a different order, the fusion of incompatible events could have been acceptable, or even uncommonly creative. Instead, audiences will be left with a feeling of incongruous projects getting warped together solely to capitalize on the name recognition of the title to boost the viewership of what was, all by itself, a completely competent thriller. End quote. So he he thinks that they just threw the aliens in. Okay, I understand they're two completely different movies, but standalone, the Ten Cloverfield Lane standalone is its own movie. And like, like, okay, you had no clue what Cloverfield was. You watched Ten Cloverfield Lane, and itself was a great movie. Like, and mm-hmm. Aliens was a completely cool twist. And I don't know. I just don't understand. Like, if they merge the concepts together, I'm like, I don't. I don't think anything about this movie would have made them go. This is kind of like Cloverfield if there weren't already aliens in the script. Yeah. So I don't think they just threw it in whenever Bad Robot took over. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I don't understand. It didn't feel out of left field that it was aliens. Like it just kind of felt like they didn't know exactly what it was. And she gets outside and there's still danger. Well, Howard even said in the beginning, it's either Russians or Martians. So there's this big broad scope of like, we don't know what's happening. It could be anything. It could be anything. And this is what I kind of remember people having an issue with whenever this movie came out. I hadn't seen Cloverfield at that point. And after having watched it, my feelings don't change on this movie. Oh, it, has it does to, not. It, if anything, it goes, oh, this movie's way better. <laughs> I just saw... <laughs> I am glad I started here. Like, that's how I feel about it. They're two completely different movies. Them calling it 10 Cloverfield Lane, I think was partially like a nod to it being the same production company and seeing some similarities. And also it's a great opportunity for the movie to market itself. It's a nod. That's it. And yeah, you're going to get people in there expecting more ties to Cloverfield because not everybody watches every interview. Not everybody's going to go in. Or trailer or whatever, you know? Yeah. I'll move on to the next thing they say, which is, quote, I'm sorry, but no one is looking for you. It may look like a simple premise, but this three-person show is a nicely deceitful, wily character study and chilling adventure. Goodman is perfectly creepy as the abductor who induces unwavering apprehension while harboring just a hint of neighborly concern or perverse familial preservation. When his deceptively good intentions lean towards something along the lines of Stockholm Syndrome grooming, Winstead and John Gallagher Jr. in a convincing turn takes the spotlight as a proactive fighter resourcefully scrounging for clues or defense. Peppered with small bouts of comedy to calm audiences just long enough to rattle them with the next affright, the pacing is keen and the abundance of unknowns keeps things entertainingly agitating. The cinematography is also well used to cheat the visibility of dangers just off screen. But by the end, despite successfully jangling nerves and generating rollercoaster horrors, 10 Cloverfield Lane can't escape the sense that an enormously unrelated story has been repurposed for the sake of marketability end quote okay i'm not, i did just say that but who cares i don't care i just feel like that's the only bad thing they could think of because yeah did they use this move they used cloverfield as a marketing tool a hundred percent but was it a good fucking movie yeah it also was and did everybody who worked on it deserve to make their money back tenfold yes they did They absolutely deserved to make all their money back and more. Because it's a good movie. It probably wouldn't have gotten the attention it deserved without having marketed it that way. And I know it's like some people might see that as underhanded, but I don't care. I don't think it's a big deal that it's, I really don't. I really don't give a shit. It just feels like the Cloverfield bros being like, you hurt my movie's feelings. Oh, you put a girl in a movie. (laughs) Uh, You exploited my love for Cloverfield. You put a girl in my alien movie. I'm so mad. 
Oh, yeah, that was I, – I wrote something funny. I'll read whenever we get to the audience <laughs> reviews. Okay, I'm really excited. But – so that was the end of that review. I'll move on to the next one, which is by Andrew F. Pierce from The Curb from March of 2016. And they say, quote, Producer J.J. Abrams uses not only the weight of his name, but apparently the weight of the 2008 monster flick Cloverfield as a surprise marketing tool for the film that nobody knew about three months ago. Well, now it's out. We can shed a little bit more light, but not too much, on the plot of this mysterious beast, end quote. I don't like their tone. I might have added some sassy affectation to his words, but it's what they sound like in my head. I don't like the tone already. Oh, it's... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, so next they say, quote, At its core, 10 Cloverfield Lane is a film that I would have absolutely loved when I was 13. The basic setup <gasps> is actually quite brilliant, and it doesn't muck around getting to the core plot. However, besides what you learn about these characters within the bunker, you don't get much more character development other than Michelle is running away from her partner, Howard built a bunker, just in case a disaster occurred, and third bunker mate Emmett was a guy who helped build the bunker. 13-year-old me would have loved to have been thrown right into the action with no real setup or idea what's going on. 31-year-old me, though, was not as impressed, end quote. What the fuck are you talking about? She has a familial history of abuse and is running from a relationship because of an unknown argument that could have either been bad or maybe she had a reaction that she did not like. I think the former. Howard has a weird relationship with his daughter. Weird. That he is taking out on other people's children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Emmett has a whole storyline about how he was too scared to leave his hometown. He had the opportunity to go off to college and run track, but he was too scared. Like, what are you talking about? This person, it completely, those details went right over their head. Even the watered down versions of those, where you just like, you learn his daughter and his wife left. Okay. She left her fiance. They had an argument. Okay. Emmett could have gone to college for track. They gave us more than what you say. It's like you just ignored all this analyzation that you could possibly absorb from this movie. Or just baseline exposition. Th- those things are things that are said. Yeah. Those are things that are said. That's not even like a detail. Out loud. Mm-hmm. You could just hear it and go, that's information I know now. Yeah, exactly. Like the fact that that's the only character development that you think happens in this movie is insane. What did you do? During the movie. Emmett literally has a whole character arc. Exactly, exactly. He has the most character development because Michelle's already, she already knows what's, she's got a plan. Okay? Survival mode, survival mode, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Howard is also, he's, he's Howard, okay? He's there. <laughs> Emmett goes on a hero's journey. He does, okay. he really does, though. He sacrifices himself, he does. Yeah, he says sorry, and Howard goes, it's okay, and then he gets shot in the face. <laughs> It's really, it really did shock me though when that happened. I was like, something bad's gonna happen. Oh, <laughs> I was like really upset when that happened. I was, I was really upset because I forgot he died. I mean, I knew he wasn't gonna live, but like, I was he like, he got shot in the face. Got shot in the. He goes, I forgive you. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. Okay, but I'll move on to the next thing they say because. <laughs> The next thing they say is, quote, The lack of solid character development made for a generous lack of tension. For the first half hour or so, you're not entirely sure of Howard's intentions. Is he more Annie Wilkes than Good Samaritan? But once you find out his secret, the tension dissipates, making the remaining moments mere checkpoints that need to be ticked off to get to the finale. Bundle this with a main character who is resourceful, yet other than that, we know little about her. End quote. 
what the fuck are you talking about? You talk about little tension. This whole movie is tension. This movie is tension from the get-go. Learning that about him makes the tension higher. Not only is he angry and volatile, mm -hmm. he's also creepy and gross. And you don't want to be, like once Emmett gets shot in the face, it's just her and him. That's the most terrifying part of the movie. What do you think's going to happen after that? You don't want to fucking think about that. You don't. Emmett was the only thing stopping him from doing anything else. Exactly, exactly. Emmett was, yes, exactly. Emmett was a barrier. And that's why he hated him so much. That's why he hated him so much because he was stopping him from doing what he, oh, oh, no, mm, no, don't look, don't, oh, uh. <laughs> uh. This is my Jennifer's body. Yeah. Because they fucked it up with the marketing, say, making all these bros go in there and half watch it, not understand what the fuck's going on. They don't get it. They don't fucking get it. <laughs> fucking get it. But anyway, uh, next <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next thing that he says is, quote, this is not to say that films can't be engaging if they have little character development, but they at least need to be written in a way that gives talented actors like John Goodman and Mary Elizabeth Winstead something to work with. First-time feature film director Dan Trachenberg works off a script written by first-time writers Matthew Stukin and Josh Campbell with additional works by Whiplash director Damien Chazelle. The dialogue is good enough, and odds are this is possibly where Chazelle's work is most evident. This is not to say that the direction and plot is not solid enough. It's just that this mostly feels like a film that was born as an idea, and everything was slotted in a place to fit that idea. End quote. On your track record, I don't trust what you're saying, though. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, this was born from an idea and it was built off in such an amazing way. It was like details were added. It wasn't even written as a Cloverfield supplement. No, it wasn't. Details were added and it just made it more amazing. Yeah. But lastly, this person says, quote, Part of what 13-year-old me would have loved so much about this film is its willingness to just fully embrace its bonkers story. However, the troubling part of this is that the main issue I have with the film are major spoilers for the film. If you're on board with the story going to some odd places, then you may be more forgiving than I was. However, I found that the lack of compelling characters and lack of tension made for a tiring journey to the somewhat expected and head-scratching finale, end quote. This movie really is my Jennifer's body because it's a movie that literally is subverting genre expectations for a sci-fi movie. Yeah! Definitely, because you don't know it's a sci-fi film until the last 20 minutes. And it subverts expectations for a thriller, even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I am almost as upset as them that Cloverfield isn't in the name, because I have to hear them bitch about it. Exactly. I'm mad because, yeah, exactly, because they're complaining about it. Now they're pissed off, and I have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. The last two have really gotten hung up on that. Mm -hmm. I think the first critic, she was like, yeah, but it's a dumb thing. Yeah, exactly. She understood. She got it. But that this next one, I don't remember if it is positive or negative. Pretty sure it's positive. Okay. This is by Tim Brennan from About Boulder in March of 2016, starting with, quote, All you really need to know about 10 Cloverfield Lane is that it's an efficient and intelligent thriller. It works best if you just go into the theater cold. In fact, you should stop reading my review immediately. Trust me and go see it. Still here? If you're hoping for a spoilerific review, sorry, Sparky, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> However, we can go into detail without going into detail, end quote. I like the intro so far. Yeah. <laughs> you still here? What are you doing? It ain't gonna happen, Sparky. <laughs> Love it. 
All right. Yeah, so this is a positive one. Okay. It's very true. It is a, an efficient and intelligent thriller. Definitely. Uses all of his aspects very efficiently. And this is one of those movies where I agree to, like, don't don't give me a plot summary. Don't give me a little... Just dive in. Dive in. Dive in. I went in so cold, I didn't even know what Cloverfield was about. <laughs> Exactly. You had no context whatsoever for anything. I literally went in and I was like, guy from short term 12, John Goodman. <laughs> That's it. That's Ramona it. Ramona Flowers. <gasps> John Goodman. That's it. That's all you needed. But next they say, quote, when he directs or produces, Abrams likes to operate under a veil of extreme secrecy. It's known as the mystery box. And he believes that the less audiences know about a film ahead of time, the more they'll enjoy the viewing experience. To a degree, that's true. But we live in an age where audiences complain that they never see anything new, yet they refuse to take chances. One of the amazing things about 10 Cloverfield Lane is that nobody knew the film even existed up until a few months ago, end quote. That's true. You take the most chances with movies of anybody that I've ever met. I do, though. And that's something I want to agree on, too. Like, whenever you hear someone go, there's nothing ever, anything new or original, I'm like, are you actually going to the theaters then? Because there's new and different stuff. I just watched Saltburn. <laughs> there's something <laughs> like Saltburn out there. I mean, you can make comparisons, maybe to something. Mm -hmm. Tom Ripley, of course, but there's new stuff all the time. Yeah, but also I do I do agree. I really like going into most movies without knowing a thing about them. That's my favorite way to watch movies. Some of my favorite movies are movies that I watched like that. And you're going to be surprised. Like so many people go and watch the trailers, go watch interviews. Don't do that. Go go in blind. Next, they say, quote, what's really going on? Is Howard telling the truth? What's his end game? The good news is Michelle is definitely smarter than the average bear. From the moment she awakens in the bunker, we see her taking in all the details, filing them all away, and developing a plan. So many mainstream films have characters that are simply two-dimensional plot devices. Not here. Our three characters, in their own individual ways, are fully realized individuals. We see their strengths and weaknesses, and they all feel like they have genuine inner lives. End quote. Absolutely, and I said this before, badass woman does not waste time whatsoever. She takes it all in, figures out a plan, and fucking goes for it. Yeah, she's taking risks, but it's like... She's taking risks, not chances. Yeah, I'm gonna either do this or die, you know? Like, yeah. it's, I'm gonna go down fighting. She has that mm -hmm. kind of mentality, which I so respect. But she's smart about it, too. She's not just me. Yeah. She's not just doing random shit. The epitome of that, I mean, it happens all throughout the movie, but the epitome of that is her putting, starting a fire in the vent. And that's the epitome to me of her taking risks, not chances. My mother always said, if you have to take a brick to someone, take a brick to someone. If you have to bash someone over the head, do it. There's no time to be polite. There's no time to be polite. There's no time to, to be nice to, oh, I don't want to hurt this person. No, if you're in that situation, you do it. Yeah, if you think they're going to hurt you. Hurt them first. That's the whole thing. Suffer the consequences later, like, with that. If you're in a bunker, you it's all it's free game, dude. It's all free game. You wake up chained to something? You wake up without your pants on? Yeah. Get, no, yeah. Anyway, uh, next, he says, quote, This is the feature film debut of director Dan Trachenberg, and it's highly impressive. First, if you're worried that the shaky cam aesthetic from Cloverfield has made its way here, relax. Along with cinematographer Jeff Cutter, Trachenberg has made a film that's clean, almost classically so. Plus, he does great work communicating the geography of the bunker. After the film gives us a brief tour, we always know where everyone is in relation to everything else. He's helped by an economical script written by Josh Campbell, Matthew Stukan, and Damien Chazelle, end quote. 
which I think is a very interesting thing to highlight with this movie. Mm-hmm. Outside of all of the other things that this person has said about this movie, they enjoyed it so much that they are finding other elements of it that make it work as a story. Knowing the geography of this thing is important. It is. There's only one other looming space, but you aren't even aware that it's there the whole time. And neither are the other two characters. They don't know that space is. They don't even think about it existing. And I think that's so important for helping with the tension when that part does come up and you're like, holy shit, there's a whole other space. Right. That's an interesting thing to note. And somebody who didn't enjoy this movie wouldn't even think about that. No. And I will say there's so many movies out there where it is, I was, I'm not going to say limited space, but like there's so many times where I'm watching a movie, I'm like, where are these characters? I know they're in the same building. I know they're in the same. Yeah, but where are you? Yeah. Exactly. I feel like that's underappreciated a lot when making movies, when making mm -hmm. A, a space yeah so when you have a movie that's well tracked like this like they're in the living room the kitchen she's in her room in the hallway with the food storage his room the bathroom exactly the entrance the entrance the yeah it just makes sense but next they say quote the film is also a solid acting showcase i feel a little bit bad for john gallagher jr since he's acting between two other performers who give next level performances well he's just really good yeah. emmett is the least meaty role in the script and gallagher shades in some ambiguity and passive aggressive behavior towards howard john goodman is a film icon we all love him but he's an actor that gets taken for granted sometimes. As Howard, he takes the survivalist cliche and introduces interesting layers. There's something profoundly wrong lurking behind Howard's eyes, and a scene where the three of them play a game shows some alarming misogyny. But underneath that madness are glimpses of a man who may have been kind. The MVP of the film is Mary Elizabeth Winstead, without a doubt. She brings probing intelligence to her roles, and she makes Michelle a woman with a gift for improvisation and keen attention to detail. Howard is a formidable obstacle for her to go up against, but Michelle is just as tough. I love movies where characters have to think their way out of bad situations, and while Michelle gets a little too MacGyver occasionally, she keeps making the right choices, even if they don't always work." End quote. I do love this paragraph because they do highlight all the good things. I do agree with Emmett. The character he plays is great, but it is the least, and I get it, the least media yeah. of roles because you have John Goodman. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of the unaware doofus. He's there. For most of it. <laughs> You know, he is. And you're here. You're here. Um, he is, though, but he's really great. He is. But you have John Goodman, who is just a force of nature in mm -hmm. just everything he does. He really just is. Like, he's one of my favorite actors. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. She does. She's amazing. She, um, I don't agree with this part. She gets too MacGyvery occasionally. She's throwing shit together. I mean, I don't see it as a negative thing. I don't see it either. She is, she's just, I think it just adds to her character. To me, that's real. Like, that's badass. Especially with the, the thing at the beginning, with her, with the screwdriver being, like, that to me just showed me, like, oh, she's just a resourceful person. Like, she will make it work with what she has. She will figure it out, and not only figure it out, but quickly. She's not to be messed with. If you are messing with her, good luck. I, okay, I get that sense. Like, okay, she, yeah, she makes a gas mask out of a bathtub. But hey, that's kind of cool, though. Like, for a movie thing, that's kind of cool. I think that's pretty cool. The way that she was able to trick Howard into throwing it away so she could... It, that, that's the whole thing, exactly. And Emmett to do it, you know? Like, Emmett to drop that. The idiot to make him realize, like, mm, the idiot might have a point. <laughs> You know, when the person you ha hate says something, <laughs> <laughs> has a good point. 
But she, again, her making all that shit and MacGyvering all that shit is taking risks, not chances. Exactly. Like, I'm going to die trying. I'm going to die trying. Yeah. Even if taking the risks to get all that shit could kill her inside, she's still going to get all the tools to protect herself outside. And that's like my thinking too, is like, I'd rather die trying to get out there and die trying out there than let this guy do whatever the fuck he wants and also end up killing me, you know? Yeah. This is the last paragraph from this review. And he says, quote, so is 10 Cloverfield Lane a sequel to Cloverfield? The answer is maybe a little. If anything, it's more a spiritual sequel, given that both films share some thematic connection tissue, though you kind of have to reach for it. Since we're experiencing the events from Michelle's point of view, there's room for ambiguity. The third act takes a hard left turn, and it's going to be the subject of a lot of discussions. The script was originally titled The Cellar, and it was retrofitted to serve as another chapter in the Cloverfield mythos. It's a little shaky in terms of narrative, but ultimately works due to the confidence of the filmmakers and Winstead reacting the way most of us would, end quote. Hell yeah. This was my favorite review out of all of them. Honestly, they they really just like lay it out. Mm -hmm. But if you're ready, and if you don't have, do you have anything else to add for mm -hmm. this one? No, I'm exhausted. I think they said it. <laughs> they I think they, they did, did too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll move on to the audience reviews and I'll read you my funny little thing. Mm -hmm. So most of IMDb was basically a well-rounded female sci-fi protagonist. The feminists are taking over. <laughs> <laughs> She's my inspiration. She's my hero. <laughs> this is my Joker. This is my Joker. <laughs> <laughs> she is. No. Fuck Barbie. This is my Joker. <laughs> She is! Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So that was a lot of IMDb. They were just upset that she was a, a well-rounded female protagonist in a sci-fi adjacent film. Here's the thing. To have sci-fi and female in the same word, that, that alone is going to send off so many men. <laughs> her bra is only showing once. Uh, you only see the top of her bra a little bit? Ugh. <laughs> and she's got small boobies, so no cleavage. Exactly! Exactly! <laughs> that she doesn't have bigger boobs <laughs> fuck them honestly fuck them i will say that is something that i appreciate about this movie not the fact that not that not that like specifically but when she's not wearing pants and when she's wearing like the tank top with her bra showing it doesn't feel like the filmmakers are sexualizing her you can only feel like howard sexualizing her exactly but i'll move on to our first 10 out of 10 from imdb that is titled i know i seem like a sensible guy <laughs> And I read it in a Joker voice, a Heath Ledger Joker voice, because that's how I read it in. But I know that's not what I mean. What the fuck? <laughs> sorry, it sounds so like funny. in my head. Oh, that's so funny. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Watch me make this pencil disappear. <laughs> God, I love The Dark Knight. It's so good. It's a good fucking movie. Oh, my God. But anyway, sorry, I took us there because I read this like the Joker. Um, but the title is I Know I Seem Like a Sensible Guy from 2021. And they say, I forgot there was a bunch of humor in this. 10 Cloverfield Lane is one of my all-time favorite sequels. Technically a sequel in name only, though the final act does tie in loosely to the first movie. It came eight years after Cloverfield and completely goes in the opposite direction. The film puts post-apocalyptic, claustrophobic, confined space, psychological thriller, mystery, character study, humorous, suspense, and sci-fi movies into a blender for the perfect concoction. Yep. Strong performances by all three actors, but John Goodman in particular. He seems to have the market cornered on the amiable, seeming down to earth with the occasional off-kilter remark, eerie yet kind of charming, and a completely psychotic character. 
Also see Barton Fink, another one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. The final act is nothing short of mind-blowing, and it's something you're anticipating for the bulk of this. I, for one, never saw it coming. I wish I could re-experience the first time I saw it, a modern-day classic. That's how I I feel that, too, though. I wish I could re-experience this for the first time. Yes. And this person just encapsulates this movie like just all the different genres blended together absolutely Mm -hmm. okay here's the thing this is one of those movies where like i didn't like the movie but i love john goodman in it barn fink that was one of the it's it's not that i hated barn fink you're just not a fan i'm not a fan but i'm only a fan because john goodman's in it and he's a great character in it yeah so i'll move on to four stars on letterboxd from 2016 that split second when this movie makes you believe Howard actually accepted Emmett's apology, but then he just shoots Emmett in the face is the reason I have trust issues. <laughs> yup. Yup. I forgive you. I, I forgive you. <laughs> so good. You know what? That's iconic. That's an iconic moment. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. If the girlies got their hands on this movie earlier. Honestly, we could have flipped the script with this movie. We really could have. Three and a half stars from 2016 on Letterboxd. John Goodman is the kaiju in this one. <laughs> There's nothing I can say that adds to this other than just yes. The next one is four stars from 2016 on Letterboxd. Camera wasn't shaky enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't get motion sick once. <laughs> Two and a half star review from Letterboxd from 2020. I focused on being prepared, which is a quote from Howard in the movie. This was, I think, the third time I've seen 10 Cloverfield Lane, and this time was worse than I remembered. Its creation of suspense is good, and even if it feels very generic, the first half is at least interesting enough to hold your attention. But what's especially apparent on rewatches is how pointless it all comes across when it ultimately builds up to nothing substantial or rewarding, nullifying the value of almost everything in the first and second acts. I can see what they were going for, but the execution is so poor it drags the whole movie down, and it takes it from a decent thriller to being just kind of sensitive senseless and ineffectual. I think I, I get what they're saying, but I don't agree that it makes it feel like the first half is useless. Yeah, no kidding. I understand like your expectations were completely flipped. Yeah, you wanted to get out, you wanted to get help, you wanted to find safety. Like I get that, but like that's not the world she's in. And also it's like, like you know the world that whatever's happened, something bad happened. Mm-hmm. It's she would rather be out there with everything she learns to confirm her suspicions about Howard, she would rather be almost dead outside Mm -hmm. than be trapped down there with him forever. Yep. And I get that what you learn by the end does change how the, the first part of the movie is. But that doesn't mean that it makes it useless and it doesn't make it pointless. It makes you reevaluate all the stuff that happened there. Mm-hmm. Four and a half stars from 2021 on Letterboxd. We don't talk enough about the scene where John Goodman throws on Tell Him by the Exciters and just starts twerking. I love that so much. (laughs) This next one is two stars from 2021 on Letterboxd. This felt like the generic thriller script you'd get as an example to work off at a low-end film school. It reeks of trying to tick all the boxes of how a thriller should play out. It all felt so cliche and contrived. The characters never felt deeper than their circumstance, and the sci-fi elements were clearly just tacked on for marketing reasons. Do you ever just read something and you're like, uh, you're so wrong, though? Like, you're just wrong. Like, I'm not gonna prove the reasons why you're wrong, but, like, you're just... That's incorrect. That's not right. We already have. We've already disproved your thesis. Like, we don't need to talk about it anymore. It's just like, you're just wrong. 
just hear this horrible, grating <laughs> voice. <laughs> Four stars from 2016 on Letterboxd. Sorry, I just don't believe Pacha would do any of that. <laughs> yes. Yes, me for Sully, though. Sully wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Three and a half stars from 2018 on Letterboxd. <laughs> I'm so confused, but I don't even care. Honestly, that's this movie. It's okay you're confused. Just rewatch it. I've watched it like a billion times and I'm still noticing things. I'm noticing things for the movie that we're talking about right now. The door gotcha. I didn't even think about it because I didn't even think about it because I was too worried about thinking about other things. Ah, it's so gross. It's so gross. Three and a half stars from 2022 on Letterboxd. Since this is technically a horror film, I'm counting Mary Elizabeth Winstead as one of the best final girls ever. Okay, that's what I said earlier. Okay, thumbs up. That's what I said earlier because I do... Uh, this is a sci-fi horror, in my opinion, a horror. Like, you could say thriller. I think it teeters more towards thriller horror than it does sci-fi. Everything but the end, like. Right, exactly. Three and a half stars from 2016 on Letterboxd. No, you don't need to know a damn thing about Cloverfield to watch this movie. The idea of them being connected is really a red herring. But it's also good to not know a damn thing about this movie before watching this movie. Going in blind makes it a whole lot more fun. For the future, go into every movie blind. Studios are so bad at revealing too much stuff, especially in trailers. If they don't know how to make trailers anymore. They don't. They show you the whole fucking movie in the trailer. I think this is where my not liking to be told what to do personality really benefits me the most mm -hmm. because I will avoid a movie like The Plague. I do it with TV shows all the time. Mm -hmm. Still haven't seen Queen's Gambit can't make me oh you couldn't make me do that either no it really benefits me because i go into most things blind anyway that's how i'm, I'm trying to get into movies anyway i don't want to know shit i didn't know anything about x i didn't know anything about pearl i loved both of those i didn't know anything about barbarian i had no clue what barbarian was about i know you refused clue. to tell me anything about barbarian i know i wanted you to go i wanted you to go into blind i did i really mm -hmm. did a lot of movies are ruined by your expectation of them at least go in with zero even if you don't go in fully blind go in with zero yeah one out of ten on IMDb titled Just Not Expected, Worst Cliche Movie Ever, from 2021. This movie is beyond garbage. I couldn't stand the woman's actions. She was the worst, so he, so was he friend in the movie. The only good actor was the fat man. <laughs> the fa <laughs> this is why I picked it. The fat man suits the character, and why did aliens and all that trash come in the ending? It wasn't needed. I say boycott this movie. It was just an over-glorified cat-and-mouse chase movie with a little sci-fi BS. That's not nice. Read it in your head as Stewie. <laughs> I think of it James from Vanderpump. Fat man. <laughs> Which same honestly, voice is the same voice actually now I'm thinking about it. You just thought it was so off the wall. It's so wrong, but like it is so off the wall funny. Like this is something James would say on Vanderpump. Yeah. <laughs> I'll move on. Uh, <laughs> two stars from 2017 on Letterboxd. This movie really didn't do it for me, but I can't deny that this story did whatever the fuck it wanted. If the Power Rangers came down to help, if there was a lightsaber battle or Chuck Norris showed up in a tank, I would have not been surprised by the end. Gotta tip my hat to that. Much respect. <laughs> so that that's where Letterboxd was coming from with the ending is they felt it random, which sure, it's not sure. just because it's Cloverfield. It's like, it's not that random. There's an apocalypse scenario happening. It could be anything. She doesn't know what's out there. Literally, it could have been anything. Yeah. Two stars, 2019, Letterboxd. The fact that it is a story within a story is a standout part. John Goodman is good in his part, standout portrayal. I also liked the cinematography. It was cool to see such a small place shot so many different ways. 
But I'm saying that one-dimensional characters, subpar acting, limited chemistry between the very limited characters, generic story setup, and I can't possibly imagine an ending that would redeem the film. Wrong. How does it feel to be wrong? How does it feel to be wrong? I just, I don't understand how you could walk out of this movie seeing those characters as one-dimensional. What do you think a three-dimensional character is like? I want to know what movies you think that is. Two stars, 2019, letterboxed. A thrilling, anxiety-inducing chamber play of a sci-fi thriller with some pretty strong acting. Too bad it's a letdown by its by-the-number screenplay and cringe-inducing dialogue. I will say, like, some of the dialogue, because somebody was saying, like, oh, it must have been the guy who wrote Whiplash who fixed the dialogue. The dialogue's not necessarily the best part for me, it's particularly between Michelle and Emmett when they're talking to each other. It doesn't feel like the best dialogue ever. Sure, but it's not so bad it's cringy. I've seen worse. It's not even so bad it's, like, on my radar. Yeah, really, honestly. I, th I thought it was a good setup. You know, like, I think about the whole regret scene, you know? I'm like, okay. It's a good scene. Like, I don't think it's the best dialogue, but like, yeah, I get it. I get what's going on. Mm -hmm. Three and a half stars from 2021 on Letterboxd. This wasn't as enjoyable the second time around. I dug how it was mostly contained in one bunker, which helped create some really tense moments. After the lead escaped, the bunker things went from zero to 100 way too fast. Ending felt rushed and the film was a bit long overall. John Goodman was outstanding though. Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Gallagher Jr. were solid as well. You didn't mention Bradley Cooper. <laughs> I could understand like because it is it's slow because like she's kind of like slowly building up to getting mm -hmm. to the point where she can get her way out and I understand feeling like it's quick at the end but it's like that is kind of the tension of that moment is like when everything flips on its head it's kind of like a, a blur like she's she's having to fight her way out now yeah she's no it's no longer about strategy it's time to put it in action yeah and a survival mode at that moment a mo moment yeah. too because like literally she gets out there at sunset and it's dark within like three minutes you know like it's yeah it's that kind of pacing of the movie like we're in the real real world now you know yeah this is the last review i have from imdb it's a 10 out of 10 titled if you're into psychological thrillers you will love this from 2016 i absolutely enjoyed this one as a person who has seen many thrillers slash horrors i found 10 cloverfield lane refreshing and surprising during the movie which most of it is set in one location the viewer experiences the emotions and thoughts of the main character collecting information with her and tried to understand what their truth really is the main actors are great and the directing is also wonderful it keeps you on the edge of your seat and doesn't let you get to one conclusion i can understand why people didn't like the ending since it felt like it came out of nowhere not really adjusted to the film's genre but personally i thought it was mind-blowing if you like mystery and are open-minded watch this fair true mm -hmm. couldn't have said it better myself honestly but if you had to rate this movie what would you rate it I'm going to say it and I'm surprising myself with it because I just watched it today. I rewatched it today. I'm going to say an 8 out of 10. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was really, really good. I agree. And I was thinking around there, but I'm going to go with a 9 out of 10. Ooh, okay. Just because it's a comfort movie for me at this point. I get that. Is there anything else that you want to say? I think I've said every thought in my mind about this movie. <laughs> Within the first 20 minutes. Within the first 20 minutes, I, in the opinion section, I think I pretty much said everything I wanted to say. I mean, we even expanded on those. And we did. And I, I had real of it, what do you call it? Revelations. Realizations. Realizations. Even after that, in the, <laughs> the critics and audience sections too, like the deeper you think about this movie, the more fucked up it is so yeah definitely yeah the more the more sinister it becomes okay well if you have any movies you want to suggest for us to cover in the future or if you have any feedback for us 
You can reach us on our Instagram at Easy Bake Takes. We also have a TikTok at Easy Bake Takes. We have our website, easybaketakespodcast.com. And also don't forget to follow us wherever you listen, leave a rating if you can, and share us with a friend because it really helps us a lot. And thank you so much for listening. My name is Kat. And I'm Riley. This has been Easy Bake Takes. Easy watching out there. Bye.